learned they're very, the, the, the reality of tea drinking is not, you know, simply Lipton packets. There's, you know, a really fancy level of tea drinking. Um, and, and because of that, as I was learning about this from the ladies in the office, uh, I decided that this would be a great Valentine present for Megan. So I went to the little tea shop that's on the Liberty Square. Uh, and if you haven't been in it, it's a, a you know a fancy little place with a quirky little lady who is, you know, you know, seems right out of a book as she talks about tea leaves and all of these things. Um, but they're just on the wall. It is just filled with all of these tea boxes and uh, and and tea. Le- I suppose tea leaves um, and you know little uh, containers, and you're able to smell each of the different version. And there literally are tens upon tens, you know, sixty or seventy different flavors. And they are all, uh, of course, have you know what I would consider standard looking tea. But many of them are mixed with rose petals, or uh, this one right here was mixed with raspberries, and you had little raspberries in the tea. Uh, Um, And, you know, part of that, I'm sure, is to sell to people like me. It may or may not actually add to the flavor, but um, it certainly made me think, this is fantastic. And so that is what I got Megan for Valentine's Day and and multiple different flavors that I thought she would like. And and so we were making tea, and one of the flavors that I got for her was almond coconut, and it had real almonds in it. And, of course, as you know, Ezekiel has an allergy to almonds, well, to all tree nuts, and so uh, we've, you know, we're just going to use that after he went to sleep, and we mixed tea, and um, you know, and it was, it was not as good as coffee, but <laughs> Megan really loved it, and that's all that really matters, right? Um, and uh, the next day, though, I had gotten a couple uh, citrus decaf versions, and so uh, you know, we cleaned everything, and we let the kids try some of the citrus decaf versions, Um, and of course, you can probably guess what is going to happen. Ezekiel instantly broke out, and we had to give him medicine, and it wasn't so serious as though he had actually eaten an almond when we would have had to use the EpiPen, but I was, I realized we didn't clean this well enough, and so part of this has invaded my son. What was I thinking buying almond stuff, much less than sharing it with Ezekiel as he broke out. And of course, he's fine, and actually, he just wanted more and more tea. It's like the breaking out didn't bother him. <laughs> he's just going to fight through it, um, and, you know, which we decided was not a good idea. Um, but I, I say, I tell you this story because we were not, we did not fully clean the teapot and the little strainer, whatever that thing is called, that holds the tea leaves. We didn't perfectly clean it, and therefore it wasn't ready for Ezekiel. It still had leftovers. And as we move into becoming followers of Christ, the reality of being a follower of Christ means that we have to let go of the things in the past. God is calling us to be his, no longer ours. And this movement, if we want this movement to be healthy and whole, this movement to follow Jesus, to become Christian, we have to let go of everything. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this church. I praise you for the weather that is changing around us. I pray, Lord, that just as, uh, you know, whether spring is really springing, I am ready for it. I pray, Lord, that just 
as spring breaks into winter, Lord, that our lives will come alive in this cold world, that our love will shine into the darkness. And Lord, I pray that we as your people, as your followers, will bring your grace and transformation to everyone we see. In your name, amen. And following the the Chiefs' Super Bowl uh, and then their Super Bowl victory, the theme for the month of February is live. Building off the 54th Super Bowl, which is the L-I-V, and then, of course, you know, adding an E, but to live for Christ. And we are slowly working through Philippians, talking about a different chapter uh, each week. And I would encourage you, it's only four chapters, it is an easy read. I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to read through the book from start to finish and just take in the reality of what Paul is doing in that book and to realize what Paul is calling the Philippians to do as he demonstrates it himself. Because as we've said in earlier weeks, he is writing this from jail. And so when he speaks of rejoicing and joy, as he does throughout the book, he is writing from prison. And see, Paul is truly committed to, you know, Philippians 3.14, throwing off everything that was behind, letting go of it. He is pressing forward to get the prize. You know, the Chiefs stake their all on the Super Bowl trophy, the Lombardi. You know, as Kelsey said, you know, he's got to fight for your right. You've got to fight for your right to Lombardi. They staked everything on that one trophy. Paul has staked everything on the prize of Christ. And church are calling amidst a world that is filled with all kinds of different trophies for us to seek calling is to seek with everything the prize of Jesus Christ. And so let us lay aside everything else and let us pursue that. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, Paul writes, "Therefore my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling." Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So this verse is, you know, in many ways is a strange verse for those of us that have been raised in our tradition especially, but really any Protestant tradition, the idea that works would have any part of salvation feels you know, anathema, feels wrong, feels as though we must have missed the point. But this verse stands here that we are to continue to work out our salvation. Just as Jesus is working inside us, just as God is working inside us. And these both things happening together. And what is Paul saying I think something that is often confused in our world is what is faith? I'm working with uh, the fourth and fifth grade kids on Wednesday nights as 
their orange leaders, one of their orange leaders, um, and, and we've had lots of kids, especially kids who don't normally come to church attending, and they've been interested in what does it mean to be baptized? And they've been really fascinated. We took them all up to the baptismal, and we, we let, you know, which the baptismal is just like a really big jacuzzi if you haven't been in it. Um, so we brought them all inside it, and we showed them how the water circulates and all of that. And a couple of them were really excited. They were ready to be baptized, but they didn't necessarily know anything about what baptism meant. They just liked the idea of being in a pool on a Sunday morning, and they, that seemed really cool to them. Some of us, you know, it would be scary to be in front of everybody here, but for them it was really exciting. And I realized, obviously, before they understand baptism, they need to understand what it means to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And as I was putting all those thoughts in my head and, and trying to explain those on Wednesday nights, uh, I decided I would develop just a little worksheet for the kids to take home from some questions to answer um, in part, not because this worksheet is brilliant and not because the questions are perfect, but my thought was, if they're willing to take this home and do this, they're really serious about knowing Jesus. So no matter what they put on the paper, if they bring it back, it's time to get serious with them. Um, but I did spend a lot of time thinking, what does it mean to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I realized that language doesn't make a lot of sense in today's world, and, to, and maybe it does in different places, but here in the United States where we elect our government, and our government is you know, supposed to work for the people. You know, we can argue about whether it does or not, but it's supposed to be working for us. This idea of Lord doesn't make a lot of sense to us. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord. What does that mean? And I think we all know in theory what it means, but we don't live it like they lived it 2,000 years ago. To, to lord over someone 2,000 years ago, or even when kings and queens were ruling society, lord made a lot of sense. You had to do what a lord said. You had no choice. No matter how ridiculous it was, you had to follow the lord's command. And it could apply to any part of your life. Very different than life in America where the government, uh, of course, we elect the government, we can vote them out, but, but we also have unalienable rights that are given to us, free speech, freedom to be right here in this moment, wonderful things that are stronger than the people in Washington, that are more powerful. That wasn't true if we had a king. If there was someone who was lord of the United States, the Bill of Rights wouldn't matter. And see, I think we as Americans often don't understand that, and I definitely think kids don't understand what that means. So I wanted to change the language as I wrote this. I don't want to talk, I didn't want to talk to them about accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord. Instead, I decided to use the language that Jesus uses, follow me. And I hope, I hope, that that will more explain what it means to put your faith in Jesus. Because to put your faith in Jesus is not an intellectual exercise. It is to be obedient. It is to follow. It is to allow Jesus to be your Lord 
in every sense of that word, that if Jesus says it, it is now your law. It is now what you must do. And I want the kids to understand that, but I also want to emphasize to you, church, that to be a believer, to accept Jesus as your Lord is not simply to understand facts. It's not simply to walk down the aisle. It is to follow him. Reading a commentary on these two verses, Gordon Fee says, For Paul, faith in Christ is ultimately expressed as obedience to Christ. You begin to realize how this passage makes sense. This verse that we are to work out our own salvation as Christ works in us. To be faithful is to be obedient. And therefore, no work is by us is required for salvation. Works will be the result. We will be constantly working in our lives as followers of Jesus. Because he is the one who is in charge. He is the one we are following. No longer our old dreams. No longer our old ways. We are now following Jesus. The passage continues. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. This is 2 verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. It's in, you know, I always love how Paul will tie just these random little points. If you do this one thing, then you will become a shining light. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. It's an important word for our day that we live in. So that you may become children without fault. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And why can he boast that he did not run or labor in vain? It has nothing to do with him. And everything to do with the people who grew in faith because of him. And as you look at your own life, who are the people who have been changed by Jesus? As you are pressing forward to achieve the prize, who are you pulling with you to meet Jesus? This doesn't necessarily mean just the people who are accepting Christ, but who are growing more faithful and stronger and deeper, who are becoming true followers rather than wavering wins. Who in your life would prove that you did not run or labor in vain? Verse 17, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Uh, the original creative element that I wanted to do, I, I rewrote it 
this weekend when I realized my creative element was not going to work out. The original one I wanted to do is I wanted to demonstrate this in front of you. And I thought about bringing hot coals into the church and pouring water on them. And I realized that might set off the fire alarm. So I decided I would, uh, you know, just put a cast iron pan in the oven and just have it boiling hot and pour water on it, which does produce a lot of really quick steam, but it wouldn't have been very cool. It would have been, I, I think it would have been a letdown for you guys. So I decided that that was not going to work. But I do think we've all seen this happen before. You've been at a campfire and someone dumps a drink over it, or you, maybe you're putting the campfire out and you pour water over it, and just the ev- water's evaporating instantly and turning into steam. And that is what Paul is talking about here. At the altar, the meat is being cooked. The aromas are rising up, you know, in in their imagination, it's rising up to whatever God that it it is being served to. And the drink offering is poured. And the drink offering boils and turns and evaporates and becomes aroma rising to God. He's using this as a symbol, knowing that all the gods that the Philippian community, the communities around the Philippians were worshiping had nothing to do with reality. But he is offering himself as a sacrifice for the risen Savior. And that image of him just giving his life to the point that he evaporates simply as a fragrant offering to God. It's a powerful image of what God is calling us to. To let go of who we once were and to become fully God's. With abandon, with recklessness, to sacrifice, to be poured out. I am glad, he says. At not an easy process, I am glad, he writes, from jail. I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. We're getting ready to head to Haiti, and if you saw my, my post from a few days ago, it, it, it invited all kinds of response, because uh, kind, of, you know, kind of jokingly, I mentioned uh, tarantulas in Haiti, and we are going to Haiti this time into the mountains, and we're not going to have uh, you know, our normal uh, villa on the ocean base camp. We're going to be taking tents and, uh, and just staying in that community there to build a medical clinic uh, and so I jokingly mentioned you know, fear of tarantulas, uh, and I don't know that I, well, I am afraid of tarantulas, but I haven't encountered enough in Haiti uh, for it to be a true fear. You know, I'm not worried about them living in the tent with me necessarily, and I've heard some stories from some of you about uh, tarantulas being all over the place, and thankfully that hasn't uh, been my experience of Haiti. Uh, but I jokingly said that I need some spider away, some kind of spider repellent. Um, and, you know, Kim Ali actually checked with the Termex man to see if that was something she could buy for us. Uh, alas, it is not. Um, but we are going there and we are going to be living in tents. And, you know, this whole just thought process of why am I doing this and what kind of a crazy person would do this has also just reminded me of Paul. Because Paul was an up-and-comer in the Jewish community. You know, you see him rising in acts, in leadership, and in power. He was someone who wouldn't have to sleep in tents. 
who could have been at the table with all of the powerful and wealthy and rich. But he encounters Jesus and he gives all that up to follow Jesus. And what does he have to become? He has to pick back up his trade of tent making. And as he's traveling to all these places, when they don't offer a home to stay in, where is he sleeping? But in a tent he made. At least that's what happens in my imagination. And as he's traveling between these places, where is he sleeping? In a tent he made. When he could have very easily said, "Ah, Jesus, I'm going to stick course with what I've got going on. It's a big sacrifice compared to sitting at the table with all of the wealthy and powerful. And that's what Paul chose. And in choosing that, Paul discovered the endless joy of Jesus. And being poured out as a sacrifice, as being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice. He celebrates. I'm glad and I rejoice that I am able to do this, that I am sleeping in tents, that I have to work to make ends meet. I am celebrated. That I end up in jail. Rejoice. How does he say these things? Because in following Christ, he is discovered what it means to have joy. He's discovered what it means to be loved. He has discovered what it means to live in a world that isn't full of hate and destruction, but to live in God's world that is full of salvation. And so even when all of the world around him, the physical world around him seems dark, Paul rejoices. Because with every sacrifice he's made, he's experienced more of Jesus. And he's found others coming to experience more of Jesus. And as they have come to experience Jesus, joy has spread. And so Paul teaches us in Philippians that God is calling us to work out our salvation Just as Jesus is working in us to bring salvation. And what does it mean to work out salvation but that we allow him to be our Lord? And if we don't understand that, to put it more clearly, we set down our own will and we follow. We sacrifice our old desires and dreams to put what God has for us first. And in that we find salvation. And in that others experience salvation too. Because they see what God is doing in us and they are led to Jesus. So Paul at the very end of this little passage says, after he's been glad and rejoicing, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Because Jesus has done this for you Jesus is sacrificed for you, and we join in that great sacrifice. The aroma and transformation rising to God to save this world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this 
great calling that is upon each of us. I pray, Lord, that we will be faithful and obedient. I pray, Lord, that we will step into your love, the love that would allow us even in the darkness to be joyful, the grace that would allow us even in the pain to be glad. Lord, let us experience that today and this week. And Lord, let us be so faithful to you as our king that we will follow you in everything. In your name, amen. And this moves us to the time of response. And I want to invite each of you in your hearts to respond to Christ. He has a calling upon each of us. The reason Jesus came saying, follow me, is that he has somewhere for each of us to go. And he wants to take us there. So I want to invite you in this moment to respond to his calling, to follow him. If anyone would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or to accept Jesus as your Lord, I will be here. I even have a packet I can give you about it now. Um, But I would love to tell you about the love that Jesus has for you. And if you want to know more about Chandler, I'll be here at the front too. But for those of us we see so many with our family that we see every week, I just want to urge you to take that step to be faithful followers of Jesus.